Welcome to Record Roulette. My name is Eamon O'Flynn, and I'm here with Nathan Smith to discuss another album from the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums list that we've chosen at random. We have the lovely Gia Mora here with us. You may remember her from our episodes about James Taylor, Janet Jackson, and Lou Reed. She's an actress, writer, musician, author, and so much more. And she's the guest we've featured the most on Record Roulette because she keeps saying yes for some reason. Gia joins us for a unique challenge, discussing an album that is beloved and adored and not particularly contentious. And well, how do you make an engaging episode of talking about Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band? We're going to do our best. At number 24 on the Rolling Stone Fire Greatest Albums list, Sgt. Pepper is broadly considered to be one of the greatest albums of all time. In fact, in the previous two versions of the Rolling Stone list, it was number one overall. The product of copious LSD consumption and studio exploration, Sgt. Pepper's collection of 13 unique sounds that had never been heard before in popular music. It was released in May 1967 to widespread critical acclaim. Tom Phillips of the Village Voice called it the most ambitious and most successful record album ever issued. And in a review for The Times, William Mann noted that almost every track would have been inconceivable as successful pop music just five years earlier. The Times theater critic, for some reason, also reviewed this. Don't know why. Kenneth Tynan, he said it represented, and I quote, a decisive moment in the history of Western civilization. And let me remind you that this is all immediately after it was released. Uh, it also sold like crazy, moving 2.3 million copies in the U.S. before the end of the year and topping the Billboard top uh, LPs chart for 15 weeks. And of course, it's at or near the top of every greatest albums list. We all know this album very well, so let's get right into the discussion. And this is maybe a really stupid question to start out with, but are any of you surprised that this album was met with just immediate critical praise? No, I'm 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 not surprised at all. I mean, the Beatles uh, were a fairly well-established act at this time. Um, you've heard of Beatlemania, of course. So, I mean, they oh, they were yeah. yeah. That. This is the same group, actually. Like oh. that, yeah, it's related to the Beatles. I thought that one was the B E E T L. No, that's a common no? mistake. But uh, it's it's actually mm -hmm. about this band. So they were, you know, they were fairly well established. Um, you know, they their output was just freakish. I mean, they'd released at that point, I think six or seven like full length albums, and so you know, biggest band in the world. And then they take an incredible leap forward. But what I think is interesting in the context of of bands that sort of take this massive leap that they were and what might make this album unique in relation to other albums or other groups that, that take these leaps is that they were able to sort of take the audience with them in that it was appreciated in the moment. It wasn't one that people came to respect afterwards where they sort of thought, Oh, that's what they were onto. And despite the fact that they kind of took the, their audience with them at the time, it wasn't then looked back upon later decades later as being, well, actually it wasn't that good. Like the appreciation for the album mm -hmm. seems to have increased with time. So it, I think in that respect, it's, it's very unique in terms of these sort of groundbreaking albums that are either people come to them later um, or they were a little bit too enthusiastic from the outset and they don't age very well. This is neither of those things. This is uh, just a, as a kind of note related to their, their productivity. I saw this earlier today. So just great timing. Super 70s Sports on, on Twitter, which you may have seen, it's a fantastic uh, account, you should follow it, said that uh, this doesn't sa even sound possible, but the Beatles released the following albums all in a 34-month period. A Hard Day's Night, Beatles for Sale, Help, Rubber Soul, Revolver, and Sgt. Pepper. You know, just like 34 today. months. What have you done yeah. in the last 34 months of your lives, gentlemen? 
because I have a. Uh, I've got a kid who's almost three years old, so that's almost exactly. Hey, that is more and, than I, mean, I have. She's a disaster. So, Gia, <laughs> uh, what about you? Uh, are you surprised that it was it was a critical hit right away? You know, I guess I I I would assume it had been welcomed, but I mean mm -hmm. to have it you know, make the annals of all Western civilization is, is such high praise. It's almost like, it's just almost unbelievable. But I've listened to this album so many times and then listening to it again today, like it is just so cohesive that I, I can't imagine what it must have been like. Uh, in January, I listened to uh, Rubber Soul and then Pet Sounds back to back. Because I had known about that relationship um, before, and and then to come back, you know, a couple of months later and listen to this top to bottom solidly, I was like, oh wow, you can really hear that musical progression moving forward, and uh, and because of the cohesion, I think that's why people uh, liked it as you said, Nathan, and leapt with them at the time. And then why it has remained is that it's so complete in and of itself that, uh, you know, you keep returning to it to experience that same emotional arc again and again because it's such a complete experience. And I think that might be why, of all the things that we've listened to, like, together, this has a the most complete journey. I'm sad I didn't get to talk to you about Abbey Road because I think Abbey Road has an even more extreme narrative arc. But this one is abstract. And that's what also makes it so intriguing. Like you can always dive in at all these different levels because it isn't mm -hmm. this singular track. Um, yeah, anyway. But I did not expect it to be such effusive praise yeah. for that. Yeah, very, I like... I think when I, I wrote this question, I sent it to you guys, and then I started <laughs> reflecting on the question I had written. And I, I realized I don't actually think I've ever thought about what critics at the time thought about the Beatles. I think they were just such a big thing. And I was just like, whatever, I, you know, like everyone loves the Beatles. And I never really thought of it. But then I, when I was considering the question, I was like, well, yeah, I, I kind of assumed that some of it had just built up over time, right? The, the appreciation over decades of, as you said, Nathan, just keeps getting better somehow it's it doesn't get worse over time that i just kind of assumed that it wouldn't come out with something like this and this is a crazy sound like there's a lot of stuff going on here and we've listened to a bunch of albums that are right around this time and this is nothing like any of those and i'd argue it's it's barely even pop music like i don't even know what to call this like i think this is why it's so hard to to say the beatles are this genre yeah well i mean the other thing just to sort of demonstrate just how ridiculously prolific they were at the time. Like these two songs were recorded during the Sgt. Pepper sessions, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields. They just put them out mm -hmm. and Penny Lane was yeah. the B side or no, sorry. Strawberry Fields, I think was the B side, but either way that was a single. And then they yeah. keep recording and put this album out. So this album technically by today's standards could have had those two songs on there just to make it mm -hmm. even more ridiculous where so we'll have a day in the life, Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, plus, you know, these other 13 tracks that are incredible. It's just, I don't know. I, they were on a, a run that no other, uh, you know, solo artist or band has ever been on and likely never will be on again yeah. for all time. It's, it's yeah. mind boggling. It's, it's Mozart. Like I, I know I've, I've heard, uh, I've heard that that's how Lauren Michaels refers to Paul McCartney. He's, he's Mozart. He's basically Mozart, but 
like there's a part of me though we've listened to, to plenty of albums here many that are very very good that people love and there's still usually something there that's you know like i'm kind of surprised it wasn't like a, the concept isn't a concept or within you without you is too long or a day in the life is too weird like anything like anything you know like it just didn't seem like when i was kind of going through reviews that i could find there wasn't like a but this is the reason why it's not perfect like at the time it was almost like this is great just accept it this is everyone else can stop making music now there's no point um yeah but uh i i mentioned the concept album there my you know much has been made of sergeant pepper as a concept album the story is that paul felt that if they took on another persona it freed them up to do different work but does that make it a concept album is this a concept album uh nathan you can you can go first well that's uh, i don't think it's really a criticism of the album itself but i've i've never bought into this as a concept album it's a concept album for tracks one and two and then sort of again at the end and you know otherwise there's (laughs) and i think number 12 yeah and i I think john (laughs) lennon has said as much that it was not really a concept album like i get that what the intent was for it to kind of be a concept album this is what they were going for in terms of we'll we'll be these other people but they're still the beatles they're just sort of the you know, the Beatles on steroids or LSD, I guess, if you want to choose a more appropriate stimulant. Um, But there's no, it's not a concept album in the way that Tommy is or that, you know, Quadrophenia is or the Mm -hmm. wall is like, there's not a common theme running throughout this album in terms of a concept. The closest it gets to being a concept is that pretty much every single song and every production element is fantastic. So if the concept is like, we're going to do a perfect album, then it succeeds. (laughs) But in terms of like a a storyline running throughout the album, I don't think it really exists. Yeah, the, the concept is great. And mm-hmm. just to just to add to your, your note about John saying that, this is a quote that I found of him saying, Sgt. Pepper is called the first concept album, but it doesn't go anywhere. It works because we said it worked. And this is kind of why I'm, I'm surprised that critics have also not kind of gotten into it to or didn't get into it at the time because it, it like, it, you know, it's not a direct through through line like Tommy, for instance, you know, which I think comes out a couple of years later, a year later. It's not it's uh, they're not perfect alignment, but it's yeah it's uh i don't know it, it's funny that john would even would even say this isn't like a perfect <laughs> this isn't exactly a concept albums so you know gia uh what about you okay so i you know how i love to make these analogies between like uh narrative forms and album structures <laughs> and mm-hmm. i think that in a typical uh, form like Tommy or Quadrophenia, where you have, you know, the Western story arc and you've got your rising action, you've got your protagonist and you've got your antagonist and all these things are always in place and they give us that satisfying sense of plot. Um, and you're, and I think we're all in agreement that, uh, Sergeant Pepper distinctly lacks that. However, it still hits the emotional beats of it, even if there isn't one singular character or story or series of stories like in abbey road you could imagine three or four possibly maybe dozens of intersecting stories from all of the characters introduced in all of the songs mm-hmm. these songs uh, are more have characters that are more like on revolver right like eleanor rigby is a lot more like she's leaving home than yeah. pinball wizard is in a sense right because there's all these other characters that are really big in those songs so I think in some ways, though, that this this album, because it's the concept less concept, is like telling an A story, a B story, and a C story. But then each of those storylines 
ha instead of having one singular arc, like they all complete it together. Like again, this abstraction mm -hmm. of it in 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 some weird way actually creates the narrative. And it is almost as if it happened accidentally. You know what I mean? Like, and that is the only way it could possibly have happened. Like that once they stepped back and went, oh, wait, that is what it is. You know, like that, it, mm -hmm. because there's no way you could almost plot it to be so irregularly perfect. And I think that was the other thing that struck me again and again upon this listening. Uh, and I, I hadn't remembered until recently that when I just read about it that, um, you know, Paul was really taking charge here and was playing a lot on mm -hmm. piano. And I listened to it again with, for the first time with really good headphones, you know, like I listened to it on a scratchy uh, CD that was made in like 1989. Like that's the thing I had to listen to it on. And so yeah. this is the first time and it was the remastered 2009 and I was noticing how imperfectly perfect even the recording of it is. Like, we aren't used to hearing that. Everything has been um, quantized in the music that we hear now. And there is this real sense of live playing, even with all the tape dubbing, that mm -hmm. is addictively interesting and imperfect and I think keeps you listening and on that sort of what's going to happen next. Whereas I think music that we hear a lot today that has been quantized, that is very digital and extraordinarily regular, mm -hmm. uh, that, that increases the hypnotic sense, but not a pitfall of what could happen next. The, the artistic, the art, yeah, the, the artistic risk yes. that, uh, that comes along with, I, I don't think, I personally don't think it's a concept album, but I, I think there's a bunch of songs that are linked very much with, in some ways actually reminds me of, of the Kinks album that we did, Village Green. There's a bunch of songs that feel like nostalgia. There's a lot of songs that feel older than what this album is. And as you said, Gia, they don't sound the same. They're not the same song by any means. They're not the same era that they're drawing from. They're not the same style they're drawing from, but they're reaching backwards in a way. And I, I kind of was thinking a little bit about the concept of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, this whole idea, the whole Paul idea of let's pretend we're a different band. And while I don't think that's enough to say this is a concept album, I do think it's, it's possible to believe that the challenge to be something else freed them to create very new and very different work. This idea of saying, oh, let's just, if you were someone else entirely, what would you create? knowing that you don't need to live up to or or pretend that any of this stuff that happened beforehand is part of part of your work. And so that's why I think that this is a this is a big leap from Revolver. And every song is kind of out there. And like I said, they're not really like it's hard to listen to a single song on this and be like, oh, yeah, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite's a pop song. It's not a pop song. It's a weird song. And then you say she's leaving home is is a is a pop. well no but it's it's got a harp and it's got like a string section <laughs> you know like what is this that is like those are like the main things that you hear in that song like this is this is a very strange album and I think it's enabled by this almost this uh, this artistic concept that they came up with not but I don't necessarily think it's like structurally the concept right yeah I guess the only reason I sort of <clears throat> push back on that is because it, it sort of, to me, implies that, you know, they were kind of like the narrative that, well, we needed to pretend to be other people so we could, you know, free ourselves. Like it suggests to me that 
they were a band that was kind of stuck in a rut. Like, oh, we've recorded kind of the same three albums. We need something to break out of this mold. Like, that's just what they did. Every single album they changed. And so this might have been the the inspiration that got them there this time and what they needed to kind of push them there. But I think that's sort of just a natural evolution of what they've been doing. Like, there are songs on Revolver that are, you know, not not as consistently strange or atypical as these songs, but Tomorrow Never Knows, I think, could have easily fit on Sgt. Pepper. So mm-hmm. like all great bands, like whether it's the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson, like there are hints on the previous album of where they're going, or at least kind of uh, signposts. Like they, they could be taking this exit and going further down that path. The whole album isn't that that sound or, or that style, but there are hints and clues as to where they're going. And so if, if the idea that, you know, we're going to, we're going to pretend we're this, this completely other band, we're not the Beatles anymore. We're Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. If that's the inspiration they needed to get to that point, then fine. But I don't think that, you know, they were kind of stuck in a rut or that they'd sort of, you know, they just were kind of spinning their wheels for a few albums. So. I mean, this all, again, this happened within like a less than three year period. They did all those albums. So it's not like they were like, oh man, we've been stuck for three years. When are we going to put out our next album? We need something. It's like we've been stuck for six months. Yeah, jumps. (laughs) The clock's ticking here. But by their standards, this took a long time to record, which is, Mm -hmm. is crazy to think about given the output you just described. But they felt as if this was taking a long time because by their standards to spend four or five months recording an album was an eternity. Because they do them in like a month or two and get back prior to, you know, a few albums before they get back on the road. For anyone. Yeah. And then they would record again. But now they were only for, kind of for a studio. For anyone, this is, a, this is a long time to take to, to write. Like that's one of the, the legacies of this album is this idea that people could maybe go into a studio and spend an extended period of time recording. You know, this isn't Frank Sinatra walking in and being like, I'm going to sing them each once. Well, and the other, the uh, other, which he did. Yeah. Because well, he was <laughs> many times. Brilliant. But the other, yeah. the other sort of, I think key legacy of this album is that because they had stopped touring at this point and they, and they knew they were never going to play these songs live, at least for the foreseeable future is they weren't sort of hindered by, well, we better be able to replicate this on stage. They could then use as has been oft quoted in the decades that had followed, like they could use the studio as an instrument, which other bands Mm -hmm. had not been free to do prior to that time because they had to go out and tour this stuff. Like they were accountable for it on the stage and they said, we're not doing this anymore. And so then it became a blank canvas. You can use the studio to do all kinds of things. You don't have to worry about replicating on stage with the technology or the, the abilities at the time. So that was also groundbreaking among many other things with this album. Yeah. Yeah. They, they toured. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Jeff. Oh, no. I was just going to say, I think that is all part of the idea behind even the uh, escapism of let's pretend we are someone we're not. And considering all of the psychedelic use and all of the other counterculture yeah, thing uh, and their interest in Eastern philosophy, this objective sort of observer of situations, I think you even hear lyrically uh, come out in this, not just in Within You and Without You, but A Day in the Life and uh, even Good Morning, right? Their descriptions of life and their you feel as if you're being taken on the journey, not that you are sort of in it first person. There's not, let me tell you how this will be, right? That's how we open yeah. Revolver, right? First person, I'm staking my claim. Here's what I have to say. This is more of this like, hey, for everybody, look at what is here, what is present, uh, as opposed yeah. to directing your attention one way or another, which I think is also distinct and um, a part of the the reasoning behind why uh, 
an ideology of removal of self would present a new writing opportunity for them, even if it was just like as a, like you said, a hint in the back of their mind, sort of thing like, oh, that's the moment I needed to kind of twist this new piece. Yeah. This is this is a perfect lead in to to the my next question, which was when we did our Beatles album battle, I had this as my contender when discussing all three albums, which is Revolver, Sgt. Pepper and Abbey Road. I noted that with a, a couple of exceptions, the song lyrics felt really impersonal and w without an agenda. You know, you have Bob Dylan at, at this point. You have Neil Young at this point. You have uh, you have people forever having written things that are supposed to be like, this is my experience and my emotions coming out. And there's not a lot of that on this album. So how would you, uh, you kind of started with, started with this Gia, but how would you describe the lyrics and the writing on this album? Because it's not a very, it's kind of impersonal. It's not a very emotional piece in a weird way. Yes, I think you you nailed it. And interestingly, like we have, there's no, um, there's no like 11 o'clock number. There's no big love ballad. There's no mm -hmm. epic, uh, you know, anthem, right? We don't have that seminal piece that says this is where the, the meat of it is, right? But like you said, that emotional piece, um, the emotion of it is is like detachment, not engagement, interestingly yeah. enough uh so it's all everything's inverted on its head so is it especially compared to the other two um and and to to its same time uh i'm trying to think i lyrically again there's a lot of third person sort of perspective there but here's mm -hmm. where i okay i'm gonna uh i'm just taking this just a little side road here you mentioned um she's leaving home earlier nathan and I've always thought that Paul McCartney started this very sort of objective, she's leaving home uh, lyric, but then it continues in just a few years later, I think in 1970 is when um, Another Day was released, his song. Uh, Every day she takes a morning bath, she wets her hair, that one. I feel like that's like the next morning she wakes up and now we've jumped into that character's <laughs> POV and now we've walked forward in her life. And it's got a much more uplifting, you know, positive um, major key sound to it. But there's some sadness there and there's still the same loneliness, but she's got her independence, right? And he literally has gone from his work with the Beatles to his work as an independent artist. I don't remember if it's on Ram, but it's on one of those really early um, McCartney. It may be on McCartney even. Um, so it, I, so I've always thought about that. Like, so no matter what, he he has tremendous empathy, even in his third person characters. Mm -hmm. But then in songs like "Good Morning" or um, uh, "Day in the Life," I feel like you get a lot more, uh, like I said, more sort of third person narrator describing it, and then within you, without you. That is more scriptural, right? There's this weird, but not Western scriptural. And yeah. that may be the other piece of it why I think it's disorienting but still satisfying as a Western arc goes, is that mm -hmm. we, we recognize there's a completion even if it's not the one we're used to. What about you, Nathan? Do you think it's... Uh... What do you think of that observation that it's not a very personal well, album? I mean, I don't. I agree. I mean, I guess sort of literally, it's not a very personal album. But I think like uh, you know, a lot of Dylan lyrics, like Mr. Tambourine Man, is not a very personal lyric. But peep, it, he's not the Tambourine Man. I don't. Well, he may be, <laughs> or maybe about <laughs> the stock exchange. I don't know. But that's like that's the thing about sort of abstract lyrics or even abstract art. Like 
some of it can be just pure nonsense. But when certain abstract art like Picasso, or in this case, you know, A Day in the Life can reach the masses, it's there's clearly something there that is reaching everybody. It's not just nonsense. Like there's there's whether it's just the sounds of the words, regardless of what they mean literally, mm-hmm. it moves enough people that there's something there to it. It's not just that everybody's sort of hearing nonsense and they attach meaning to it. So I mean, clearly it's not a it's not an overly personal album, but it's it's very personal in its impact because people, you know, a day in the life, it's not just the melody that moves people. It's it's lyrics. And I'm looking at them now and they're not they're strange lyrics, but for whatever reason they move people. And I don't know why it is, whether it's just sort of the the alliteration or how the lyrics sound. I don't know what it is, but I mean if you just read them, if you didn't know the tune, you just read the lyrics. I read the news today, oh boy, but a lucky man who made the grade. And though the news is rather sad, well I just had to laugh. I saw the photograph. Like, yeah, but when you combine it with the melody and the the instrumentation and the like, it just something about it moves people, and that's a common thread throughout this album, I think. So, well, it's not you know literally personal. the The effect is very personal. Yeah, I think uh, you hit on it, Gia. I when I wrote these questions, I told you both I had a really tough time writing these questions because of the fact that this is such a beloved album that I kind of tossed out questions and then almost thought about them myself. I didn't have an answer to them really. And so when I was, when I was thinking about this question, I thought about this third person angle. And I thought about the, the idea that these songs are almost like, like little mini novels. Like the, they, they affect you. You buy into the characters in the way your fate, you would buy into the character in your favorite novel, that that's where the emotion comes from. It's not from feeling like Paul feels a certain way. It's not like when we did the James Taylor album and fire and rain is very clearly about him and his experiences so you're living his experiences through that song and you're not talking about anything you know that's overly political um you know like out was it alabama is that the uh uh the the song by by neil young ohio there's well there's ohio but i think yeah i there is ohio but there's another one too that i'm 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 completely screwing up but it's the one that uh, pissed off uh leonard skinner anyway oh, southern man um southern man well there's yeah That's yeah i'm gonna go with southern man yes you're right um they reference but, uh, the sweet you, home alabama yes that's carry it. on uh oh, but no, yes no, 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 that's right <laughs> i'm getting there i'm getting there that's a political thing and that's where you're supposed to draw the kind of emotion and the energy from is is the kind of political intrigue of of that song and the commentary he's making but these don't have that but what they do have is they feel almost you know, if you read a, a book by Charles Dickens, you feel for the character and, the you, you know, you fear you feel for the main character. You feel if you're reading Les Mis, you feel for all of the various different characters. And that's almost what they're doing is they're just they're they're telling you the stories and you end up feeling for the, she's leaving home and here's all the reasons why. And then here's what the parents think. And here's, you know, like all of those things are what give you the emotion. And I think that's what makes this album really special is that you could throw it, you could toss out the it's not personal enough thing and, and stuff. And I'm not learning enough about these people. What makes it so great is that I don't learn anything about John Lennon or Paul McCartney really from most of these songs. And yet I'm emotionally invested in every single one. I think it's such a perfect description to say they're each individual little short story. So then the entire piece is like an anthology right this collection that sits nicely together you know what i mean which explains sort of why there isn't one singular person because there are these different narrators we are popping in and out of people's heads um which then does yeah by proxy give you this real sense of 
of personal experience. I, I love how Tom Wolfe's novels will let you dive in. Uh, you know, you're, you'll be inside of one person's head and then in another chapter, you're in someone else entirely. And mm -hmm. uh, it's such a disorienting experience because you start seeing things so differently. And I think that's um, in this if you dip in just enough and then you can just pull just right back out again, right? It's not too scary. And that's what I think to your point, Nathan, about bringing people along, right? It's, it's enough. It's like that dip into the toe with Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Like maybe I would think about what a newspaper taxi could be. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I don't well, have to actually take any acid. <laughs> I will, I will say about, about the scary. Well, we all did before recording. Is it, tonight, is right? a day in the life. A day in life still scares the hell out of me when they have the orchestra that's getting high. Like oh, I've yeah. heard that 10,000 times. And every time I think it's like, is it going to stop? Is it going to stop? It stops. And then it does it again. Like that's still, you know, not terrifying, but it's certainly scary and unsettling. And I, I never get used to it. I love it, but I never get used to it. It always kind of has that unsettling feel to me. Yeah. The, the weird thing at the very end is, is the thing that always freaks me out after the music seems to end and it seems to stop. And the, the sound from the piano that it just kind of continued to ring and slowly disappears. And then that weird set, the, the weird stuff just pops yeah. in and I, I don't even know how to describe it. And it, that always freaks. I almost, I, I've, I skipped that numerous times while listening to the album for this. Cause I was like, I Nope. Okay. We're done the album. I know what the, I know what the next part is. Uh, Another legacy, the, the hidden song. Oh. Yeah. Like, yeah, the Easter egg. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to that point, like, see, they didn't even have to do anything like melodically or character wise. They just sonically, emotionally oh, manipulated yeah. you. Right. I mean, like yep. that's they really used it to their advantage. That studio as the other uh, Beatle. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that George Martin is the other Beatle. Well. Uh, so this is it's an impossible task on album of this stature made more difficult because of how broadly it's beloved but is there a weak point on this album or maybe maybe a better way of asking this because i don't think you can easily objectively say like here's the weak point that everyone's going to agree with but for you personally what is the low point of the album nathan do you want to pick one yeah now you like you well, like picking the low point on these yeah, albums like, right leave it to me um take shots well i've, I've got two actually like um within you without you like it's people either really like it or, and i'm just not a huge fan of the sitar in general and it goes on a long time and the album is really rolling and then that kicks in it's like eh, it's always been a bit of a, a snoozer for me um i i like the philosophy behind it and i like george having something to contribute to the album i'm not really a huge fan of that generally speaking especially at the length and then i guess my unpopular pick if that's not unpopular enough is she's leaving home because it just hmm. and i get how people love it uh, and I, on certain days, I love it too. But I think in the context of this album, it just, it feels a little bit too Paul for my liking. Like there's no kind of underlying Lennon cynicism or any sort of quirky George Harrison guitar or really inventive Ringo sort of drum patterns or fills. I've just, I've never been a huge, huge fan of that song. But again, on any other album, it would be top three songs or this is the best song on that album, but yeah. it's an impossible task. And so that's what I, that's what I pick. That's why I like doing impossible tasks, setting you on those tasks. Uh, Gia, what about you? Is there a, it, to, to you personally, is there a low point? Not really. There are only two small bits that occasionally I tune out of at the very end of Lovely Rita. I think as a kid, I didn't understand what was happening there. And now I kind of hear it like they're hype manning themselves like, oh, 
uh, oh, uh, and I'm like, like, oh, that's what it is. The original it's, beatboxing. Yeah, exactly. Some, some white 20-somethings in London doing their thing. Uh, so that, that part of it was always a little weird to me. And then I'm glad the reprise of Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band is as brief as it is. You know what I mean? And it's got that weird opening where it's the minor key and then it switches back to the major again. And you're like, uh, with trying to add this guitar solo in and like it, it, like it would almost feel terrible if it were like 10 seconds longer. It would be yeah. miserable. It's that razor thin of a tight wire act for it to not suck. I will. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I thought. No, no, rapping. please. No, what? all I want to say before Eamon jumped in, that's why I was so quick on off the mark, <laughs> is that I just want to contrast that because my favorite part of this album is during the reprise, there's one little part where John Lennon, it's audible enough that you can hear him say, he says like, bye, like he says bye. And to me, it almost sounds like a massive middle finger to any other band of the time because you've just gone through this huge experience and it's as if he's saying, we got one more trick up our sleeve and it's a day in the life, so get ready. Like, it's like he's saying, see ya, like you cannot compete on this level. I don't think that's what he's trying to do, but that's how I've always interpreted it. And I just love it. The way he delivers that line and what's coming next, I just sort of see it as a, we got one last thing up our sleeve and you might like it see ya <laughs> good luck yeah just imagine imagine listening to this and you're any one of the bands that do feel like they're trying to compete with the beatles and and that song comes on at the end you thought you made it through the whole yeah. thing they're all wonderful songs okay oh we got a God. chance we got we, maybe we can great. work oh geez oh no and then it's oh, the classic Lennon thing it's like see ya like goodbye <laughs> and then out yeah. comes dan life my my low point is within you without you, and the reason why is uh, just because I feel like it's kind of like I don't dislike it as a song. I think as part of the album, it almost kind of slows it down, changes it in such a weird way, and it's so long. It's easily the longest song that isn't a day in the life, and it's like it's almost like two. It's like a minute half longer than the next closest song, apart from the day in the life, and. Yeah, it just kind of feels like it doesn't fit completely. And it's, I believe, the start of the second side of the album, too. Yeah. So you also have to think about flipping it over, and that's the first thing you hear. And yeah. it's so, I don't know. There's something about it to me. Like, that's why I like I wouldn't say, oh, get rid of it. It's garbage or something. It's just, if I had to pick a part of the album where I'm like, ah, yeah, okay, I've heard it. I got it. You know, let's let's move on. I, I think that's the part. And I feel bad because I love George, but I... You know, I think also love me too. I think it's love me too, right? Is that is the is on revolver? I think Lo this is almost just too, a yeah. sharpened yeah. version of that, almost in some ways, right? In terms of sonically, he got it, he got the sound better, I think here, but I don't think it's as new. Uh, I I love I love it more now, and I think I really appreciate it musically because um, I think this is where Martin like seamlessly weaves Western strings orchestrations along with the tabla and i don't even know all the names of the mm. instruments that were used uh, when they recorded that but he's got this you know wonderful string section playing with the sitar and everything and and you know i think that's even really avant-garde uh string music we've talked about this on here that um the beck the his father is a strings arranger and like you can hear martin influencing what you later hear in Beck's dad's music and then in Beck's music and, and so on and so forth. And I think in that moment, even though it is, it is long, 
but it is really rhythmically interesting. Like the drumming is incredibly mm-hmm. interesting. And I think that's where, to your point, Eamon, about how it could, how is this a pop album? Like what on earth oh, yeah. is this? Uh, and like, I can't imagine, I mean, obviously it wasn't played on the radio, but like, you know, this is in the same decade that Hello Dolly was the number one hit song, right? Like there were, uh, they sang it to, uh, uh, never heard them out until there was you. I couldn't think of the name of it. You know, like those were hit songs. Yeah. And that was like the idea that, like you said, that, not long before. Yeah, four years ago, this would have been unthinkable <laughs> to even consider it. Like that is just, yeah. that is, like, what would that be today? Like, what would it take to make a leap that enormous today? I, I don't even know what that would sound like. No, exactly. And I think that's the, that's why those reviews are saying, this this that wouldn't even be pop like it, it's it's pop music in that it was popular but apart from that i don't there's nothing about the sound or the style that tells you that this is pop music necessarily one interesting thing i didn't mention off the top is when this came out the concept album idea had been floating around that that's what this was and so uh they would play it on radio stations there were numerous radio stations that just played the entire album straight through really because they because they were like there's there's a linkages here and stuff and I, I don't think there are linkages in quite that way but it did happen that people would play the album the entire way through on on radio stations can you imagine that that idea of there's a brand new album out and someone's like i'm gonna play the entire thing you're gonna hear all of it because this is all linked together and it's a it's a, from one single concept where they're the beatles are now some other band they're calling themselves is like this this to me is not it's not quite the same but it's kind of like prince being the artist formerly known as Right. Like there's a there's a, a degree of when they're, they're like, no, this is Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And that's who we want to be for this. It's we're changing who we are because of, you know, not the same reason that Prince did did what he did. But still, I'll say the closest. And obviously I was uh, not alive in 1967 when this was released. So to try to imagine what it would have felt like to to have that level of excitement and just innovation, the closest that I can imagine feeling in my lifetime was when Radiohead put out In Rainbows. They'd somehow recorded this album in total secrecy. Nobody knew they were working on an album. And this is in the internet age where everybody knows what everybody else is doing. This is a massive band. Nobody knows they're recording the album. All of a sudden, news comes out. They announce it. We've recorded a new album. It's done. You can get it here. Like, what? And you click on this link. You're like, you think it's some sort of spam thing. You click on this link. It's like, download the album. And then you go to pay. It's like, whatever you think is fair. I'm like, what? <laughs> like you've released an album. I can download it right now. And you're saying I can pay whatever I think is fair. Like I thought that's very, very, very Beatles like, but even that doesn't match the, just the complete sort of uh, revolution we're talking about here. But that's the closest I've ever felt to sort of being on a Beatle level of excitement and innovation and uh, just dramatic sort of sea shift in how you mm-hmm. do things. I can't, I can't imagine being around for this. I, we're, so we're running a bit long here. Is there anything, are there any like really important points you wanted to make that we haven't made yet? I had, I think I had like four more questions here that we're not, we're not going to get to, uh, anything at all that you really, any statement you wanted to make, uh, that would set you, set you apart for all of history on your commentary of this album. That pretty much shuts it right no. down. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like how can anybody take that bait? I'm not. Nope, no, 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 no. Okay. All right. I'm not going to, I won't, I won't push you. What is your favorite song on this album, Gia? Oh, I, I, I couldn't even possibly begin to pick. Um, I, I, I you can love, refuse. I yeah, mean, that's no, never yeah, happened I mean, before, but you can. 
Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, honestly, this is gonna be really weird and unpopular. I really like fixing a hole. I know that sounds weird, and I know that I, I had no idea as a kid what it was, and like I hadn't even thought about fixing, like getting a fix in your drug. I like didn't even put that together until like five minutes ago. <laughs> and yet, I still think it's just such an interesting, again, that like take yourself apart from it and, and consider yourself as a vessel. And like what could be poured in and what are you pouring out? And I, I like that. Oh, wait, I did think of one like sage thing to, to comment on about this. Excellent. Okay. Okay. I have to find the name of it to make sure I'm saying it correctly. But there is, um, there's a painting from the 19th century and it's called Three Aspects of the Absolute. And it's a triptych and it's supposed to be the, maybe the only visualization of, Hindu philosophy, where there's a void, and then there is consciousness, and then there is like the uh, consciousness embodied in the physical earth. And it, the triptych can be read front to back or back to front, because in Vedic philosophy, it's cyclical, right? So we just travel mm -hmm. in this never-ending cycle there. And so it, to me, fixing a hole, like there's always going to be a hole to fix. There's always going to be, you know, this cycle to, to circle through your dharma will continue to follow you as you go forward. And, and he says where it will go, right? Like you just, it's part of the flow and within you, without you kind of continues it. And it really meanders, like you said, for this really long period of time. So, um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll feel firm and I'm okay with saying fixing a hole. I, uh, solid beep. <laughs> All righty. Alrighty, so the the streak continues. No one has ever, I don't think, refused. I mean, Sonia's picked like six six songs on an album before, but no one's ever <laughs> refused, and they still haven't. Nathan, how about you? Uh, Day in the Life. I just I love everything about that song, and I think if if there's, and this is an even taller task perhaps than the question that you asked, Damon, but if there's one song I think that encapsulates the Beatles, it would be that. Like it's hmm. it's it sort of shows Paul's side with the kind of you know quirky middle eight it's got classic sort of lennon kind of haunting melody and probably in my opinion his best vocals ever it shows how brilliant a producer george martin was it shows how underrated a drummer ringo was to come up with a drum pattern for a song like that like there's no template for that song like oh, i'll just drum to it the way i drum to oh yeah it's never been done before so he's got to make it up and it fits and it sounds brilliant and it shows just how inventive they could be where you're you're taking two songs that have no relation to each other and jamming them together with an orchestra telling them to do whatever they want to get to this place to kind of lead into Paul's part. And then you kind of create a part to segue back into John's, but it's just, it's perfect. Um, so, and it is a perfect album closer too, uh, aside from the sonic mess that kind of comes after, which is interesting in and of itself. But for me, it's always been a day in the life, but there are so many great songs on the album. Fixing a hole, I think is probably the most underrated or underappreciated song on that album. It's not one that people always identify, but I've always loved that. So yeah. I wonder how common it was to just for people to jam together such clearly different songs. And uh, because like the way that songwriting happened before the sixties is not quite the same either. Right. You didn't have the same degree of these kinds of singer, singer, songwriters, singer bands. Uh, you had people who wrote songs and people who performed songs. That was, that was not all the time, but that was a pretty consistent thing. So I wonder if, uh, you know, cause I, I think of the song the Harry Nilsson without you, that song, that's similarly yeah. a completely two totally different songs that were jammed together because they couldn't figure out what to do with them. And that's kind of what this is. That would be my pick as well. 
a day in the life. But if I was going to pick something else, I'd probably go with getting better because it's si- for it. similar reasons. I think it's a great Lennon McCartney combo oh, yeah. piece. Yeah. I can't get no yeah. worse. Right. Yeah. To add that, like you said, the cynicism, yeah. right. Yeah. It's just so perfect. No worse. And, uh, yeah. and yet I think that's the other thing that's interesting about this album. There is this sense of like self-improvement as opposed to like the teenage angsty, I hate all of you, screw you and your rules. Right. It's not, we don't mm. need no education. Um, it's not Nirvana. It smells like Teen Spirit, right? There's not. It isn't that. There is a. There is this not resignation, but a maturity. I think too that suddenly you hear in this. And aren't they like twenty five years old at this time? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing that's it, just mind blowing. I prefer not pissing off people. Like I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to think of that. Yeah, you know, I just they're pissing off in my people. mind. They're like fifty or something, so I can still aspire to. Like I don't want to know they're in their mid twenties. <laughs> like, yeah, I, know. I try to ignore that. That's the worst. I, they're they're also pissing off people like Lou Reed and Velvet Underground who are like it's not all it's not all so happy sounding and stuff things need to you know that's uh that's actually a, literally an outflow from this thing Lou Reed is maybe even quoted saying something along the lines Aww. of like I don't I didn't like how happy this yeah, this, this album Lou. showed what you could do but, but that's I didn't like that's it. the Lennon brilliance where he's like well he's saying he's getting better and he's like well it can't get no worse so that means they're starting from a pretty low yeah. baseline like things yeah. aren't that great he's saying it's yeah. getting better well, it's like I'm in the gutter. Yeah, but it's getting yes. better. Yeah. Like, so. Yes. Oh, and that's also sort of the remnant of girl, you know, the run for the run for your life if you can, little girl, hide your head in the sand, little girl, right? That's a terrible song that John Lennon Long. sings at the end of that, uh, Rubber uh, uh, Rubber Soul. Soul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that, they have my, the... that was my pick for the worst song, the worst Beatles song of all time, because it ruins an otherwise perfect yeah. album. But then they have the lyric, which is it sort of flies under the radar in the in the course of this album but he's like i used to be mean to my woman i beat her and kept her apart from the thing that she loved like yeah that's a pretty for 1967 that's a pretty bold statement to make um especially to be admonishing that kind of behavior and those actions also admonishing it yes. yeah like it's, admitting it and admonish, yeah, like yeah. just yeah. in plain view it's like it's, so it, yeah it is that that's what i mean that self-reflective that atonement there like to to go from that to i used to do that and now i'm not Right. Or at least I'm trying anyway, you know, and fighting against that, fighting against everything, telling you that that's the status quo Mm -hmm. to be. All right. Next question is, uh, we understand why it's on the list. I think that's uh, like, come on now. Obviously, I don't think we even even need to discuss. I think we've talked about that the entire the entire time so far. I went out to try and find one bad opinion. Nope. Couldn't find I couldn't find one that I thought was real. There was a bunch of ones that were like clearly people being like, I bought this because I thought it was a military marching band album. And it's like, no, you didn't. You're just writing a stupid Listen. review. So so I'm not I'm not counting that. Would you recommend this to other people, Nathan? And why? Uh, yes, I would, because it's the 24th greatest album of all time, according to Rolling Stone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or the first, if you're if you go back yeah. in time a little bit. No, of, of course, I'd recommend it for what we've discussed over the last 40 plus minutes. Like it's just got everything. I, I don't know. I, I people, you know, at worst, somebody might not love it, but I just can't by mm-hmm. virtue of the fact you can't find one bad opinion. I don't see anybody that listened to this and say, well, that was a waste of time. Like, why'd you recommend this album? Um, so yes, I would recommend it to everybody. Yeah. Yes. I recommend it. And I recommend uh, it's so short. You have to sit and listen to it all the way through. And because of the seamlessness of it, it literally fades in and out. There is in uh, listening into in in listening to it in its entirety, 
has a weird and wonderful live performance sense, especially because of the opening with that orchestra sounding like the warm up there. Like it, it gives that great, and you then the the placement within the uh, the sound also gives you a sense that you're in the room there. So I recommend it for that too. Yeah, I, I, I like. Come on, obviously, come on. Uh, before we sign off, Gia. Do you have anything to plug? Do you, is there anywhere people should look out for for you, for anything you've been a part of, anything you're writing, anything like that? Let us know. Yes, absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram at Gia underscore Mora. I'm on Mastodon. Uh, so I'm at Gia Mora at Mastodon.green, which is an extremely long handle, but that is what it is. <laughs> um, and you can follow me on GiaMora.com and get email updates there too so you can follow me for anything sustainability related um and um i have a music video coming out in june hopefully for world oceans day um which is all about how uh you can be extra sexy on all the dating apps by taking some climate action so it's gonna be fun cleaning up the beach awesome follow gia and then check out that video That's all for today. Thank you, as always, to Nathan. Thanks to Gia for joining us. Check out Record Roulette on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RR Music Pod. Rate and review this podcast wherever you can. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Or listen at recordroulettepodcast.com. Music in this episode is from Lemon Music Studio. Thank you for listening to Record Roulette. Until the next spin, goodbye.